Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Kate Longhurst and Becky Taylor-Gill. It's a Thursday show and it's a serious Thursday show. <laughs> because the refs have taken over and we have no choice but to do ref discourse today. Apologies in advance, but we can't not. It just has to happen. It has to happen. They, they, it's their fault. It's the main character energy. Can we just celebrate me and Kate being reunited first? We can before we get into wow. the discourse. What is this, a day. Is this the first one of the season? Yeah. Oh, Hi, beautiful yeah. moment. <laughs> it is. Kate's like oh. reconnected. <laughs> Kate's like, cool. <laughs> um, I have become such a little Charlton fan. Yay. I really can't get enough. And we have to say, we've made a gag about us being bad luck. But since we went hard on Charlton because Kate's there, they're top of the table. Yeah. So actually, we're bringing quite good luck to Would it, it be weird if I got a Charlton shirt with your name on the back? I thought you were about like, to say tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Will you draw you a Charlton thing for me to get a tattoo? Um, no, w- would it be weird if I got a Longhurst shirt? How would you feel about that? Well, someone tried to in the crowd last time said they ran out of N's and S's or something. Is that because of you? So they love you so much. I, I think I've just got so many letters in my surname. that You just yeah. get Mrs. Longhurst 69. That was such a politics answer. Like, she's not, they might have she's not to, being like, yes, no, absolutely would love it. Go, she's got my name on the show. You shirt. can go for it, but it might just be log hurt. Ponghurst. Pate Ponghurst. Pate Ponghurst. You can just get that instead. God, you really were Pate Ponghurst against Lewis. <laughs> I really was. Uh, and this is the first time you've seen her since that very same yeah, thing. I didn't actually tell her I was coming because <laughs> I was worried that they would lose and that and I would get in trouble. And you still cursed her. Yeah, but you won, so it's So fine. I had to wave yeah. from the changing room window. It was really funny. That, that was it. From your little prison cell. Yeah. You just watching <laughs> from that window. Yeah. <laughs> like a naughty school child. <laughs> but, but I hey, I did meet Jeff. Sorry, yeah. and your mum, um, but me and Jeff. That's my mum and dad for me and Jeff. Are oomphs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love <laughs> Jeff's my classic. Oomph. He always replies. He's great. New Calpress reply guy of the year, Jeff Longhurst. Yeah. What even is your mum's name? I don't even know. Sorry. Um, Deb. But she was won't, we did oh. think about was that. Was it part of the quiz <laughs> or something? <laughs> no, that was when you were like. When you were like, tiebreaker question, okay, Google this for me, Becky. Julie's oh, yeah. career path and then press the button immediately. But I, you, oh, then you said, you made a joke and said, what's my mum's name? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, in okay, response. Okay. Yeah. I did feel like we'd been we'd She's... been on the Debs train before, yeah, but yeah, I couldn't yeah. remember why. Yeah. We should do another Christmas quiz, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do I, should I host it again? Yeah, I you, quite like you being can, in charge. You're a good quiz master. Like, write the questions. I think that's good. Okay. I need to locate the bells that I bought. Okay, job for me. I'll write that, I'll write <laughs> to that do down. To also, do have a tiebreaker just in case. I'll have one ready. So I'll the have one ready. No, yeah. truly, we do it need that. It will either be Jilly's career path or Kate's mum's name. <laughs> Kate Perfect. <laughs> it will be a speed round. Or, as Jilly is a little tied up uh, with doing some uh, teaching at the moment, we could make it a teaching-related question. Like, where is what is Jilly's favourite PE lesson to give? And then... Then that's really going to test us, I think. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> I don't think that's a good question, yeah. but that's why I'm the quiz master, not you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot to uh, talk about today because it is a Champions League recap episode. So let's get into it. So we have to start with the Real Madrid-Chelsea game and we have to start with the referee, unfortunately, Frida Kraland. Frida gave the penalty, which shouldn't have been a penalty because it was outside the box. That, yeah. And the lino should have seen that as well. And then the lino makes the huge mistake on the other side of flagging for offside, Neve Charles's late, what should have been the winner. I and think here we are. Officially, what it was with Samka interfer- interfering with play because she does give the defender a bit of a not a nudge but she like stops in her tracks and like you know a bit like where she bodies the um oh so you think she's she's flagging for a foul no but sam kerr's offside right it's okay you know like when sam kerr bodied that pitch invader mm, yes <laughs> it's a little bit like that kind of like i'm in your way you've run into me and can't get past me i don't know if it's enough to be interfering with play like they're so far away from neve charles like they're never gonna get there but I guess that she could have got there, but she didn't because Samka 
did that and she's offside. Well, so many people were making the comparison to the Harry Maguire goal at the weekend for Manchester United and were saying, oh, it's like the Harry Maguire one, Sam Kerr was perceived to be the player that was interfering. But the ball sailed miles yeah. over yeah, her yeah. head. She was not involved in the play. And then there's a maybe a side note. Oh, well, is she blocking the goalkeeper's vision? Absolutely not. It was so embarrassing. And you know that officials have to make those snap calls in the moment. And it does feel like she probably flags too early as well because she probably sees the ball go in, she sees Sam Kerr and she's instantly flagging rather than actually looking for how the play continues and who is getting close to the ball, who touches the ball and and it ends up in the back of the net. And I feel like if you gave the play time to actually move on, you would realise that Sam Kerr had no role in it whatsoever. Yeah, I think... With the Sam Kerr situation, though, is she's not even affecting the defender that's then the closest player yeah. to the ball. So for me, that you have to draw that out of the equation because, like she said, she's not in line with the ball in terms of in the goalkeeper's eye line. She's not affecting the defender that's trying to defend the ball. Okay, that other defender, if the ball then came back across the box and she'd affected that player, then I think that makes a difference. But for me, the, the lineswoman, when she gives the, the offside... Why can't the referee run over to the lino and say, what did you give it for? Who are you giving it against? Yeah, because true. surely she has a better angle of how far the distance is between Sam Kerr and the ball. She can see whether Neve Charles is the person that's kicking the ball. If she just sees Sam Kerr offside, she might think she's actually closer to the ball and affecting it. Whereas from the referee's angle, she can probably see she's seven, eight yards away from where the ball actually lands and ends up and it's not coming across her line. So I don't really understand why they can't speak after. I think it's fine that you put your flag up because if Sam Kerr is offside and you're saying, oh, she potentially affected it, then that's fine. But there was no communication. It was just like, oh, she's offside and then let's carry on and there's like 10 seconds left. I also think if they hadn't, like the penalty decision is so obviously terrible that you don't have to have a conversation about it. I think if that decision hadn't already have gone against Chelsea, we might not be feeling quite as hard done by I think it's a bad decision, but you can kind of understand where that decision comes from. And I think if if it hadn't been a poor refereeing display up to that point, you might be like, okay. Do you mean the the, the offside, you can see where it comes from or which the, the, one? The whole decision, because yeah. I think it's one of those, I think that the Sam Kerr, like potential interfering with play where she knocks the defender is a subjective call that a referee is going to have the final say on and, and you can argue it either way. I think it's a poor decision. I don't agree, but I think it's one that you can have that conversation about and be like, okay, well, I can see why the referees made that decision. Whereas the penalty is just like black and white. For me, these ones are so black and white because there doesn't seem to be any engagement of, like, in my opinion, from Sam Kerr to play at that ball, to influence the the play. And then it reaches Neve Charles, who's several yards on side, that I think that's why it's so appalling, because you're, you're saying, how have you read her run and seen that? But I don't and think then... it's about her playing for the ball. It's about her playing the defender. And I, I mean, I agree. I don't think it's the right call, but she is... At interfering with that defender the way that she blocks that defender and I don't think that defender is getting anywhere near Neve Charles anyway so that's why I think it's a bad call I don't think that it's a bad call because Sam Kerr is not interfering at all if the decision is that Sam Kerr is blocking the defender then that is a foul that's not offside what you're saying is it's interfering with the defender dealing with the ball yeah. Is that right? Yeah, so it's yeah. still not a foul as yeah. such. But they so with Harry Maguire, he sticks out a leg. The defender behind him then has to react off of what Harry Maguire is doing, which is why he then becomes interfering with play because he's literally half a yard behind Harry Maguire, even though Harry Maguire doesn't touch the ball. And was it Garnacho behind him that then put it back across the goal. But because of Harry Maguire's intentional action to try and play on the ball and from such a close proximity, that is why he has to become active with play. Whereas with Sam Kerr, there's no trying to play the ball. Yes, she does like 
block the defender slightly, but because of the distance between it, there is no way that yeah. defender is ever getting towards the ball, which is why for me, you have to overlook it because otherwise we could say you could disallow four or five goals every week in all the games because someone's interfering with someone off the ball. Yeah, like exactly. The off, the off the ball interference doesn't dictate the offside. What yeah. dictates the offside is if she tries to play the ball or she's blocking the goalie's vision. Jostling with the defender, it, it doesn't make a difference. If she blocks her and the official wants to flag for a foul because it's blocking her chance to get to the ball, then be my guest. But just getting in the way of the defender does not influence the offside decision and I think that's why you look at that and you think well if Sam Kerr is making an active decision to try and play that ball fine make that call but I certainly didn't see it I did like I didn't see any of that and um, obviously Emma Hayes is absolutely fuming afterwards and she said that you know she has she didn't get a chance to talk to the officials afterwards and she won't get a chance she also you know had to come out and speak to the media straight away and she certainly feels like she was robbed of a 3-1 win, especially considering the penalty call. But yeah, the combination of the two is what makes it feel it's, so yeah. unjust. And then we come back to the conversation around VAR. And obviously VAR is, is such a heated topic right now. And we've got several clubs in the Premier League fighting for VAR to be completely eliminated. And then we've got women's football fighting to have VAR and this kind of weird separation now, obviously, with VAR, you still need good officials to not only use VAR, but still to control the game. <laughs> which so, we just don't have anyway. Which so. we don't have anyway, right? So we need to get officiating up to our higher standard in general. But at the same time, if you're going to have VAR in the latter stages of a competition, you really should have that consistency. And it's a conversation that we've had in cup competitions in men's football as well, because there are certain games in which VAR is used in the cup competitions and certain games it's not. And that doesn't make it consistent and fair across the board. And so I think the Champions League will need to look at that and look at the funding that that is then provided to have clubs use VAR because it, it completely loses that consistency of the competition. If you're saying, oh yeah, you can have it in the semifinals, but you're not going to have it in the group stages when you have such clear and obvious things. And that's a distinction, right? Is that yeah. what happened to Liverpool was a mistake. Yeah. And even though I Don't thought... Don't bring that up. Well, <laughs> even though I thought the statement was slightly over the top, you can still say that was a an error that had to be owned. But when you get into Arsenal territory of releasing club statements over sort of 50-50 very subjective yeah, calls yeah, yeah. that's a whole different ball game but when where we are with women's football right now is such big mistakes yeah, that, happening that penalty is black and white like that's really easily overturned by VAR and no one argues with it one it's a fucking mile out of the box <laughs> two it's a dive like the, both of those things combined like it's infuriating and what's so ridiculous is Chelsea had had a free kick in exactly the same place in the first mm. half. So she'd had a go at it already. She'd got it right. What a penalty, though. I know that I know it was that a good shouldn't have had it, but fucking hell, what a penalty. No, she really did slam it. But I mean, we've obviously covered the ref discourse in, in depth, but also Real Madrid were bad. In our preview, we spoke about how much they struggle without Caroline Weir and and how they you know they aren't the nicest team to watch, but God, they were bad. And I think that's probably what's even more frustrating is I commend Chelsea for kind of sticking to the principles of how they wanted to play that game. And their first goal was such a nice goal, like the build up play. It was twenty or so passes in a short space of time to create the opportunity for Neve Charles. And same again with their second goal, the way that they found the space in behind. And Chelsea have that versatility. They're so dynamic in the way that they play. So it was still a good performance from them. A, a pretty, like, you know, oh, really good performance. I but just looked at the stats. <laughs> it's fucking insane. Yes. I mean, Real Madrid had one shot in that first half. Four shots in the whole game, two shots on target. Huge deflection, which takes it in as well. So when you combine the refereeing and how well Chelsea played compared to Real Madrid, you'd be extra fuming. Maybe I need to like 
channel my inner Jesse Park Humphreys. Like, <laughs> has anyone checked on Jesse this morning? <laughs> no, but I saw a tweet doing? from them yesterday. Like, my head is on Mars. Um, which uh, yeah, makes I think sense. I think they're pretty enraged, as you would be. If I mean, I was enraged, and it's not even my team. Yeah, and, and Jesse is like not a good loser. <laughs> <laughs> the the injustice is just frustrating. And what pisses me off as well is that I see certain clubs and fans in the Premier League losing their minds over the most nothing decisions. And I'm yeah. like, you want to see real you stress? You don't even know your balls. Exactly. You don't even know what it's like in the EFL and the WSL. We are fighting for our lives every weekend. I'm sure the stuff that you see in the Championship, Kate, yeah. the bar is very low. That red card, eh? I know, exactly. <laughs> Injustice. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's frustrating because these are the real consequences. And, you know, Chelsea drew this game in the group stages last year. It still made it to semi-finals. And they got a record points total in their group. And I think they will still finish top of this group. And on reflection, maybe it won't make a massive difference on how they do in this competition. But at the same time, this this could happen to other teams where it will make a big difference on where they finish. But here's the problem as well with Chelsea. They did dominate that game, I think, ever since the first goal went in. It was almost like, right, Chelsea have now clicked into gear. They controlled the tempo of the game. They were the only ones really looking like going forward and scoring. Like I said, Real Madrid had one one shot in the first half. But the problem is, is that if Chelsea do have a bad performance or can't find a way of scoring against the next team, all of a sudden that puts them under pressure. Mm. Where you have other competitions as well, look, they have a big squad, they can utilise different players. But in the league as well... If there becomes a clash between Champions League and then a big game at the weekend, Emma Hayes is having to look at that as, well, we need to win both games and might have to play the same players or, you know, it can, it can affect it further down the line. I'm not saying that, you know, they, they can't progress through this group. I think they will. I think they'll finish top. I can't see any other team finishing above them. You want to start well and you want to start with a win if you can. It Especially just puts after everything pressure. that's like going on at the moment with them. And exactly. it's like they announced it the day before that she's going to the US. And we all knew that. And I think the players would have like had that confirmed anyway before. But when you've got that like backdrop of we have to do this for her. And I said last week, I don't think that they're a team that like will get overwhelmed with that pressure. If you're not, if you don't start well, it gives you that, like, it's on, you know, looming behind you, like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it gives it a different narrative, doesn't it? There's something else. It's more than just the football at the moment to play for. And Mm. what if the stress does become kind of a little bit more intense? And if you don't have a a good group stage in a group that you absolutely should be coming top of, that is also in your head in those knockouts, which are just like tougher and tougher exactly for confidence that would have been a big win for them especially winning in the last minute and look they deserve to win but these results I think with group stage football as well there's always another chance so Mm. I think they'll be fine but you would ideally want to come out of that win and they deserve to win the decisions went against them I don't know if you've had like terrible decisions go I mean I'm sure you have I'm sure there's <laughs> well, a whole kind sure of anth- quite that you could think of anthology of it like, terrible decisions that have gone against you and that have affected a game do you think that they can like use that as like motivation for the next one I don't think it'll affect anything going forward I think if anything it'll just piss them off mm. but you could even tell from just some of the decisions in terms of I think there's one where Millie Bright stepped in and they fell and she gave the free kick and you could just see the frustration yeah. on their face like this is not a foul. Mm. I mean Martha Thomas would have been thinking where was this ref when England played Scotland and when Tottenham played Chelsea because Millie Bright went through the back of her twice <laughs> with a lot more contact and she got nothing. So yeah I, I don't think it's going to affect anything in terms of that I think. It's just frustrating to put in all that work and have that sort of performance away from home, Mm. which is a difficult place to go. Real Madrid have started the season well. So I think it'll be more that, but they just have to move on to the next game now. I want to say a quick word um, about the the biggest sort of flaw in in the Chelsea performance, which is this AKB with her feet it haunts them still and we <laughs> two wolves two wolves coming out um and we've we've spoken about a lot in the whole conversation about who needs to be Chelsea's goalkeeper and AKB has struggled in Champions League moments with the ball at her feet and that goal for Real Madrid which comes out of nowhere Chelsea had the momentum in the game they had the control in that game they had this high line because they were committing players forward 
then that stodgy clearance from AKB just leaves on the back foot with plenty of their backs not towards goal. And then they're chasing backwards and the play just opens up so perfectly for Real Madrid. That was frustrating for me because it's so avoidable, especially when you're in control. But that's, I guess, what you get with AKB. It's like you win some, you lose some. You're going to have those moments where with the ball at her feet, she might cause a few issues for her team. Yeah, but she's probably going to cause less issues in terms of coming out for things, shot stopping. Um, She's got a lot of experience, made a lot of good saves in big games before. She's not the full package as much as you kind of want her to be. She has a lot of positives, but with her, I think you can't put another keeper in. She's got the big game play. It would be too much of a risk, I think, to play someone else. And it's also a bit like, (laughs) I don't know, live fast die young like that's the kind of like sometimes you gotta live life on the edge you gotta put the player in that's like <laughs> you know gonna make a risky move but then also might like save the day I don't know no you're you're right I think that's it's the best play for for Chelsea right now when you've got that confident shot stopper but it's still if I was a Chelsea fan it would make me very stressed yeah. especially when you get to the knockout and it's finer margins because I, I like we say I think they'll still storm this group stage you know who I think had a bit of chaos goalkeeper energy yesterday was the Ajax keeper. I know they won, but I was watching those highlights and I was Ajax. like, yeah. yeah, I was like, babe, what are you doing? <laughs> where are you? Where, where she, the where one she where fumbled she comes, it, but yeah, then got come, back and like clawed but it. But like she also comes so far out for one. And like, she's not going back. She's yeah. like sticking out of her box. like, And the shot just goes over, luckily. But I was like... What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, they won, so doesn't matter. No. And, we're gonna... and that's what I mean, live fast, die young. Yeah. Ajax, live by that. And they won. They won. Oh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I think that's enough ref and Chelsea discourse. Let's talk about Bayern Roma next. This was a really fun game, guys. Yeah. This was a really fun game. I think we'd all been feeling pretty good about Roma in our preview. I think that they've embarrassed me a bit because my <laughs> prediction out of the group was PSG and Bayern. And I was like, but I was like, I'm going with my head, not my heart. And my heart says Roma, but maybe I should have trusted my heart. You should have done. Always listen to your heart, Becky. But <laughs> I <laughs> love life advice from Counterpress. <laughs> well, also, love wins. Love always wins. So, you know, Roma will win. But yeah, it was such a fun game. What I love about Roma is their defence is not that great, (laughs) but it's a little bit all over the place. They are so relentless. And I think that's what feeds into how slightly chaotic their defensive unit is as well, because they just go and go and go and go and go. The belief is there, which is so important in Champions League, but... Yeah, they just never say die. They were so... They could have been 3-0 down at one point. Is this group the group of Live Fast, Die Young? Yeah, I think it is. You're wow. right. This is this is really, this is what AKB should be <laughs> she, in this she group. She should transfer. She's really... In the, it, yeah, she's in the wrong club. But yeah, there's just... There, there's something so brave about the way that they play. And they've got the ball players in midfield to then deliver the goods higher up the pitch, even though the defence is slightly all over the shop. Kate, I know, I bet you've had this when you've had to play in defence as well. Like, what Roma do, which makes me panic, is no one quite seems to know when to go or when to stay. So everyone is falling out of shape constantly. And someone who has struggled, I think, in the in recent seasons, she struggled at Bayern, is uh, Saki Kumagai. I think she had a bit of a dodgy game mm. yesterday. But it's like everyone's always coming out and then going back. And, and it's not the most structured, organised thing I've ever seen. But at the same time, they came back from 2-0 down, could have been 3-0 down not long after the start of the second half and scored some iconic goals as well. It was just like, yeah, I loved I loved their performance. That felt like an insult. I don't know if you... <laughs> like, You've had Kate, this where you just... Kate, you might know. No. This but, really bad defender. No, 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 but it wasn't, it wasn't a subtle dig. But do you know what I mean? No, it's, it wasn't subtle. No, it you, wasn't subtle, yeah. <laughs> you... you um, you know, when you've had to play in defence, which I know isn't your like you don't love to do that, yeah. but when you have had to do that, like knowing when to when to go and when to stay is a core part of that. And it can be really frustrating when you're seeing teammates, you're like, Don't go for it, don't do it and then you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it depends also like what formation you play. They almost play their centre backs like they're 
play in a back five mm. where they just step out all the time. All you're thinking, the time. You're leaving a lot of space <laughs> in behind there if you don't get it right, which they weren't getting it right at times. It's so chaotic, but <laughs> it makes it so entertaining. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I thought Kumagai really struggled, especially first half. I don't even think she knew where she was going sometimes. <laughs> You know, as soon as they win the ball, though, it's like, how quick can we get it forward? It's so direct. Look for the players, attack at pace. And so it makes the game very transitional, but really quite enjoyable as well. I thought, is it Lenari? She's a bit... Every single time something happened, she was on the ref, she was moaning about something. And I just thought... They're, that's a woman is, after my heart <laughs> they were scrappy they're scrappy yeah, as well but just sort of getting around the ref but almost as if there was an injustice with absolutely every decision <laughs> yeah. and I was kind of like just get on with the game <laughs> but I enjoy it because it makes it more chaotic mm. but yeah going forwards they really could have won the game as well yeah. even at 2-0 I was thinking if they get one then something different could happen I don't think Bayern dealt with the game great in the second mm. half uh, especially once they got the 2-0 lead, I kind of thought, all oh, right, that's that's probably it now. And then, yeah, once once Roma scored, it was like, right, game on. Manuel, her. <laughs> great <laughs> stuff. It, guys, it didn't get, it it didn't didn't get, didn't it didn't get the attention it deserves. <laughs> that's why I'm repeating it now. <laughs> yeah, Manuela Giuliano linking up with Jesse's player to watch, Evelyn Vienne. Um, Fuck's sake. What? Nadozier, come through for me, babe. Like, you're making me look dumb. Sorry. It couldn't have got better. And then Giuliano getting the late equaliser, absolute limbs. Yeah, some really strong individual performances. I think, you know, I had Bayern as... I thought they might struggle in this group. I don't think they look great. They could have been more clinical as well because they did get a lot of chances because of how sort of wide open and all over the place Roma were. But... They looked slightly off it to me, and I think there were individuals who maybe could have stepped up in those moments. And to be fair, Cesar made some really good saves to keep Roma in the game. But at the same time, it's an opportunity where you think, okay, a maybe more kind of ruthless Bayern would have seen this game off and put it to bed. But the fact that they let Roma get back into it makes me think there's some doubts within that group. And they've still got those injury issues. They've still got players coming back. They, but I just don't feel like they're at their best. And it's going to be hard in this group because it's the group of death is a tough group. But I feel like this. they probably looked at this game or, and maybe the Ajax game, but Ajax looked good, and thought, OK, these are two wins we can get. But then they might look at PSG now and be like, True. OK, well, it's we the group can, of death. Yeah, we can... Do one over there. Anything can happen. Uh, but yeah, I was disappointed, especially at home for Bayern. But it's just every game is going to be tough for them. I love this group. I love it. It's really already living up to expectations, I think. And I thought the Roma fans were good as well. They were loud mm. on the stream. Um, and there didn't seem to be that many of them, but they were making a big racket. Um, Shall we talk about that Ajax game? Because yes, let's. the hipsters are hipstering. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, what a performance. That first goal, that angle. Woo. I still think that PSG have a lot of weaknesses, but I was impressed with the way that they dealt with Manchester United and I thought that front unit looks to be blending together well and obviously they've got Kototo back now. Damn, they look stale as anything. It felt like the old PSG we saw in the Champions League last season actually coming back. And also, like if you have Kototo, who is like... An absolutely fantastic forward, and you can't score against that chaotic goalkeeper. Like, do you really stand a chance against the goalkeeper that's like maybe got their shit together a bit more? <laughs> it was bad. Uh, and we have to say as well, the game was at uh, Johan Cruyff Stadium in Amsterdam. It looked full. Yeah, it's a really good crowd. All yeah. of them. They're doing all of them there. I actually, after our Champions League preview last week, I got so hyped that I went home and booked a trip to Amsterdam for <laughs> December. So I I'm very do. excited against Bayern. Ajax Bayern is the one I'm going to. And that could be a crucial game for both yeah. teams. So I'm very excited for is that. Is it the last round of the group? No, because they go into January because of the World Cup. Ah, uh. But that'll be fun. And I'm also kind of considering going to Rome in January for 
one of their games in the Champions League. I love that. this group of death. I can't get it's enough good. of it. It's good. At the moment, I haven't booked any trips to the group of death, but I'm really tempted. I'm really tempted. I want to really, like, I'm, I stand Roma so hard. Yeah. I've never been to Rome as well. Wow. So this could be made in heaven. <laughs> it would be so fun. Um, Do live counter press from there. Yeah, <laughs> there's good. also uh, There's a, also, like, a fancy spa that's not too expensive. That It's, like, a brand across Italy that I've always thought about going to that I'm like if I just like went to Rome for the game then I could at Christmas be like can someone buy me a spa day <laughs> kind of like a Champneys equivalent for Italy I don't know what that is Champneys is like a chain of, of yeah. spas in, in it's England it's called QC Term they've got one in Turin and I was going to go but I didn't and it's like got loads of got loads of stuff and I'm like I could have such a hun trip that would be so good to the Champions League go to the spa and go the spa. to the game yeah wow iconic um, Kate what did you make of Ajax performance because we had them down as a hipster's choice we thought they were going to compete in this group and they've had a really exciting few years and have a really exciting team a lot of young players but they delivered above and beyond yeah I thought they got off to a slow start I tried to keep an eye on this game thought they got off to a slow start they hadn't really created anything until they scored and then they were just so in control of the game like Van Eyck had a few shaky moments but I still really impressed with mm. her she did a lot of good things mm. as well as a lot of shaky things yeah but I, I was really impressed I think uh with Spitzer in there they've obviously got a lot of experience for the rest of the young players um she took her penalty really well as well yeah, that, that was, was kind another of, really that nice was a bad a bad challenge from Claire Hunt it was, was unnecessary awful. and she knows that you can see her yeah, face, in her face straight away herself. she's got bags under her eyes and everything <laughs> she's like what that was a good tackle sorry bags guys before the tackle. <laughs> yeah, they just appeared yeah like sorry guys it aged uh, 10 years yeah. <laughs> so but I was I was really surprised by them and granted I haven't watched a lot of them play I you know I haven't watched is it the Eredivisie yeah as well women I haven't watched a lot of that unfortunately but they're definitely a team now I want to keep my eye on in Champions League because I did think they'd probably finish bottom of the group and now I've changed my mind completely wow. because they're top and they're thriving <laughs> um, so, one came in you're like they're going to win in, it I'm they're hard. winning the Champions League <laughs> die hard Ajax fan well they've been pushing for so long and I think they were unlucky last year to get Arsenal in the qualifiers I think if they hadn't have drawn Arsenal I think they would have got through to the group stages but this yeah this season they are looking like they're going to compete in such a hard group also a word on Lily Johannes who is only 16 starting yeah. in that midfield young American player definitely one to watch that's crazy 16 starting in a Champions League game chance game as well I thought she might score but she looks good yeah she good looks player. really good so composed and they're so well drilled. You can see the understanding in each other and the movement for that first goal, which obviously, like, the opportunity comes as it sort of, like, deflects into her path and it's a really good finish. But the build-up play... It's very nice. What I like about them is that they can do, like, find you a girl that can do both, right? They can do slow build-up play, but they can also play in transition. And like you say, Kate, to be able to control the game against a team like PSG, which will try and pick you off and then break with such a good forward unit... I thought you guys are just showing experience and yeah, like experience well beyond your years. And I think Spitzer was a little bit met in the World Cup and maybe the Netherlands didn't have the best tournament. But I think just having her as that kind of leader and probably more like vocal than anything, because you've got so many young players around you, it makes such a difference. So yeah, Ajax, we're feeling good. PSG, I'm again looking at the stats. I'm like, wow, PSG had 22 shots in the game, and to Ajax's eight, which is still quite a lot. But I do think that both of those goals were probably like against the run of play, and to just like keep your head, like in a way that Bayern didn't. You go two 0 up in the first half, you keep your head in that second half, and that is yeah, like wise beyond their years. Like that's uh, something that you would expect from a very experienced team. Uh, let's quickly touch on some of the Tuesday games, which were far less dramatic. There were some real stinkers. They really fucked up the scheduling on this because I would really have loved to watch Ajax and Chelsea at the same time. Mm. Yeah, and multi-screen. I, I've tried to do that before with FA Player stuff and you actually just end up not, not paying attention. Either, yeah. yeah, you end up with too much and then you lose both games. So I had to sort of retrospectively catch up on that Ajax game. What I do love about DAZN is they do like 10-minute highlights. That's what I'm always looking for. Premier League don't do it. I mean, obviously they do match the day, but 
It's more extended, extended one. I want yeah. ten minutes. Yeah. I want to enjoy this game. Not in just mini this format. was the goal. Yeah, not just and like this three was minutes. The controversial yeah. VAR yeah, yeah, yeah. decision. <laughs> yeah, because it. also when you think about something like the be a women's football show, which is a thirty-minute show, and then they pack like sometimes two-minute max summaries, you lose all the context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I like that on the zone you can watch the full game and then go on to 1.5 yeah. speed. Yeah. And actually I found my perfect solution because on 1.5 speed <laughs> you can't listen to the comms because it's too quick. But if you do 1.25 then the comms still makes sense nice. and it's not like distracting but you're not watching it in real time it's just a little bit faster so how you'd want them to play really yeah exactly like please speed up because you know i need i've got i've got shit to do but yeah let's talk about barca's performance benfica started so well Mm. i was so frustrated that it all fell apart and you know we don't know what else is falling apart all of my predictions (laughs) because what was the score i don't even five nil yeah and no paraguelo goal come on so true i forgot about that yeah and Diani really was hot as well. <laughs> yeah, this one finished 5-0 and it's still better than one of the games that Benfica had last year when they got absolutely smashed. So, you know, a little bit of growth. But it's frustrating because they started the game pretty well and then it kind of, you know, once Barca get moving, they just really punish you and they get into their rhythm and they look so good. But... I don't want to get into like too much detail on this game because it was such a composed Barca performance. But given they are the holders, there's so much pressure on them, so much expectation. Bon Mati with her Ballon d'Or and everything. In a quick summary, like what did you guys make of this performance? Do you think it it gives enough of like wow they're they're going to cook again in this group stage? Doesn't interest me. Not bothered. I'm just like <laughs> you know, we've I've, I had so much fun watching. Ajax and Bayern and Roma and PSG and Chelsea to a point. I'm like, this is fun football. I just, I don't care about Barca winning 5-0. They're going to like breeze through that group and it's going to be dull. Yeah. And like, it makes me not excited about their football. They're good at football. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Graham Hansen had a very good game. She yeah, was she, she was really good for that first did. goal as well. I thought Pateus was a bit of a thief for her second <laughs> goal. But, oh, you can't take that off the line and poke that in, but, you know, goal bonuses and all that. I wouldn't know about that. Uh, I would take that Because they don't offer them or because you never score? Because <laughs> I never score. Um, and as you say, Ashwala, first touch, mm. not bad for an overhead kick. Mm. Keeper could have done better, but, you know, you've still got to try those things. And if they go in... You've got to celebrate like it went top corner. I want to see you attempt an overhead kick. If you did, season. then I would have to then announce my retirement the next day because <laughs> I'll be getting back up off that floor. <laughs> You're bowing out. Yeah. It would be like when you did that sliding celebration and <laughs> you knew you never got back up. Trying to get back up, yeah. I yeah st- you still have got a little bit of a limp from a game you played <laughs> like a month ago. <laughs> I still think um, Pateas doesn't look in her rhythm, but she's got ample opportunity to get there this season, especially uh, in Spain, but also in these group stages. And I just hope she finds it again. It's just so clear when you see someone who's had such a serious injury and is like not quite there yet. But I'm confident that she will. And then the other one I want to quickly touch on is Leon's performance. They absolutely stormed it against uh, Slavia Praha. And I th- we all expected them to do it, right? We thought that they were going to get a big head start when it came to Diani getting golden how boot. Many, how many Diani girls? She got two. <sighs> I know okay. she should have got That's more. That's not that many. They I won nine nil for God's sake. Still come back. <laughs> but everyone got a go. Uh, Vanessa Gilles, Daniel Van der Donks, uh, De Britz, Ada Hegerberg, Eugenie Le Sommer, uh, Madri. Everyone got involved. But the person I want to talk about is Hegerberg because she's now the Champions League record goal scorer. Sixty goals in sixty-two games. Wow. And she is another person who has struggled with injury and maybe hasn't quite looked the same since that really long period she had out. But she is someone who I love to see firing again. And there is now talk about where she might end up after the season if she's going to move. She's obviously been in Lyon for a, a while now. 
But I hope she has a really strong Champions League because she came to the competition late last season. I think that Chelsea game, uh, she played some minutes, but that was really the first time we saw her. But now she's like starting and hopefully we'll get a full season. We could really see her find her rhythm. And it was a weird World Cup for Norway in so many ways. And do you remember when she came off that whole hashtag diarrhea moment? (laughs) So it's been a weird, a weird few years. But I want to see her find her rhythm, find her joy again. And to see her get the record and bang in the goals, even though it was just a penalty, I'm like, here we go. It, it's a bit of a strange career, really, because I think she was like quite young. When did, what year did she win the Ballon d'Or? 20... So it was 2018. I think she's still only like 28. Yeah, she's, tw- she's 28 in, now. So, that so was, yeah, so, she was 23. Yeah, and I like that is still that's so young to win a Ballon d'Or and and be like lighting it up and everybody be like, you're the best footballer in the world which I think that conversation has kind of moved on from her really now I don't know how that pressure or that like having that long injury after being like regarded as the best affects your mentality of how you then come back from it but 28 is still still fresh and young I've heard because you know plenty of time left in those legs (laughs) yeah some Um, some of us in this room are 30 plus and we're still going strong okay so you know as 28 year olds she has to do it for the 28 year olds come on Ada (laughs) but it is mad she is the kind of player where time feels like it stood still and she lost so many years think about if she had those years and how many goals she could have added to her already record breaking stats her numbers are ridiculous she needs to absolutely blitz this group stage to like really like rack them up so that no Want. What's the next? Who's after? I don't actually know. Well, I guess maybe if she's just can... broken the thing yeah. and it was 60. Yeah, I so it was. I'm not sure, but maybe someone can let us know. Um, we had a few questions. I'm just going to roll through one or two of these. Someone's asked about Serena Vigman developing players. Caffeine AWFC, great uh, <laughs> handle. They've asked, is Serena's ability to develop players behind the scenes underrated? I know she doesn't play players uh, who aren't in her starting 11 very often, but we've seen Carter and Charles go away for a tournament, not play, then come back in in amazing form and straight into the starting 11. Interesting this because I think a lot of this is down to Emma Hayes mm. rather than Serena Vigman. Yeah. And I think when it comes to Serena Vigman, it feels like you have to almost be so in her face that she can't ignore you anymore. It was the same conversation when before the World Cup, we weren't sure if Beth England was going to get picked, right? And it was like she was so unavoidable with her form for Spurs. Yeah. Vigman had to pick her, even though we all thought, nah, Vigman won't I pick really her. I really thought she wouldn't pick her because of you know, how stubborn she's been about that squad and that team. And with how Neve Charles has been playing at the moment, which is Ballon d'Or worthy, like we should say, you know, she gets a goal and assist in that Chelsea game, could have had two goals and assists. She is on absolute fire right now that she's presenting herself and given Serena Vigman no option. And that, I feel like it's more them putting themselves in the frame and the journey that Carter's been on as well since she came to Chelsea where, you know, she struggled to adapt to the demands and the system and everything, but now is so comfortable and experienced. It's like when Vigman knows that she can trust and they're performing, she's ready to put them in and then she's ready to see them develop. But I don't know if I'm so clear on what Vigman's development plans are herself. Yeah, I think it's hard for an international manager though to be able to develop players they don't have them very many times a year and she does have to go off club form she has no other choice I think with Neve Charles arguably she's probably been Chelsea's most effective player this season I think she's been in incredible form attacking and defensively and she's always had that but she's still a young player but especially with Guru Wright and missing in terms of her deliveries into the box she's someone else that can actually now unlock defences especially if they're sitting back so I think yeah you can give Serena a bit of credit in terms of obviously how she's given the England girls belief, how they've come together as a team and the structure that they have within the team. But individually, I think you're right in terms of Emma Hayes has probably had the biggest say on that because she works with her every day, plus the players that they're training with every day. Yeah, I I don't know how much kind of influence an international manager has in terms of progressing players. I've just deeped it about Emma Hayes leaving Chelsea and how that then affects the England team. And I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. And she is taking that (laughs) that brain to the US. So it's like like double. Like We don't get the benefits of Emma Hayes coaching those England players at club level. And then she's also going to be taking on the US, who I hate. 
God, oh, and I hate this everything is about it. We're in for a rough now. few years, guys. Strap yourselves in. Yeah. And I know. I, I mean, know. look. Thank God, Phil Neville isn't in charge when this happens. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, let's count our blessings. I, I'm happy for my American friends because they, fi- they finally got some a big personality, a good character, and a good coach to get behind. Um, but they've also won loads, so like, just let us be good for a bit, yeah. <laughs> just let me. Don't know why being nice about it. Like, <laughs> just let it's me terrible. have a bit. Um, and one more before we go, because we got into a little bit of this uh, chat on Monday about it, but and then there was a big debate and a big back and forth between two people about promotion and relegation across the whole women's football pyramid. So Nolly has written in, so I feel like we need to, because because there was this whole back and forth, we need to acknowledge <laughs> the debate. But he's asked, um, do you think the English women's football pyramid can manage growing numbers of the sort of semi-pro, pro up and down below the WSL? So it's probably interesting for you right now, Kate, as well, being in a, in a league which has some full-time teams and some part-time teams. Um, so he's saying, like, how do they manage the tier three teams like Newcastle, for example, who have loads of money trying to push up into tier two when other teams are like barely scraping by with smaller budgets. How do they manage that, especially when there's not that much promotion relegation? It has to be slow and it has to be sustainable as far as I'm concerned, because I think if we try and chuck three or four more teams into a league, you're asking those clubs to be able to go straight away at the level that's already there. So yes, you could look at Newcastle and say, they're already there because the club have said we're going for it we're backing it we want a women's team probably in the top league within the next five years they can financially back it they have the facilities for it they've probably already got things in place to sustain that you might get teams that are maybe not affiliated to a professional club but actually one of the better teams in the the league in the third tier you know with the championship now pretty much every team is full-time I think there's a couple that potentially aren't but they're still training four times a week so it's it's almost full-time but yeah for me I, I just think you have to take your time with this I don't think we can just rush into it and go right now we're going to have this many clubs because the players aren't there either there's still a big difference between second tier and third tier you know we played some third tier teams in pre-season albeit it's pre-season but there's a huge difference between the two leagues and there's also a big difference between WSL and Championship at the moment. So it's not saying there's not players in there that then can make the step up, but in terms of actual teams being able to compete every single week, there's such a big gap that I don't think we can just go, right, let's just throw loads of teams in it and just expand this straight away. It's also about the people because I think when the WSL went full-time professional, I know there was a few players that were like, I'm not going to do that because it feels like a a big risk because if you give up your job and then you get relegated, you then are a part-time footballer again. And that is just a big thought for everyone below championship, really, of can I take that risk of betting on this team that we're going to stay up and be able to compete. And that is also just about like how much money and backing they've got and whether they trust that. And so it's just, it's a really difficult conversation and you're right. It just, it has to happen slowly and you can't just, I don't like Newcastle, like you're just like throwing money at it and that's why they're ready. Look at Liverpool. Like they kind of stopped throwing money at it for a while Mm -hmm. And it showed and they were relegated. And so also like how much do those players trust that that system will support you? And, you know, I don't think Newcastle are going to get sold anytime soon. But if ownership changes and management changes and who makes those decisions that then affect those players' lives. And we've seen plenty of teams come and go as a result of ownership changes. Notts County, Mm -hmm. Lincoln, etc. Like that's as a result of things out of people's control. Reading are absolutely going through Mm -hmm. it right now in terms of the future of the football club on the men's and women's side. I mean, again, this is a hypothetical because I think Newcastle are obviously on the up. But if Newcastle got relegated from the Premier League... That also then affects the women's team. So because I think you look at these teams that have big Premier League backing and you're like, okay, well, they'll always just have the money to do it. But if those men's teams then struggle, like Reading both getting relegated in the same season, that backing will naturally change and evolve. Because yeah, of the where men's do the cuts team. come? Yeah. What will they look at? Oh, yeah. What's not sust- uh, financially sustain- yeah. Yeah. Uh, sustainable? So, yeah, we'll look at the women's team. Mm. We'll cut it there. 
yeah, you Which have to take it Which then affects the whole slowly. league exactly. and it affects everybody else in the league. So, and, and you know, like what you said about committing to being a full-time footballer and then getting relegated, they're all... Everyone knows that, like, we have a, a current footballer in the room. Like, being a footballer is not—it's me. It's not. <laughs> it's not the most comfortable, secure job at all. And you might—that's the only reason Kate's here doing this podcast. <laughs> she needs She's desperate. Desperate. <laughs> but the thing is, is like a lot of players are better off doing more mainstream jobs for their career and future earnings than committing to being a footballer. And there are going to be players in tier three and players currently in tier two are having to make that decision about where is my future in the game? Am I going to earn enough money? Am I going to be secure? And Premier League footballers and championship footballers in the men's game and below don't have to worry about that because you make so much money that you are set. Whereas like there's WSL footballers that you think, what is your plan after your career? And you have to be thinking about that the whole time because there's not that many spots for pundits and media I mean, you could go into management, but again, it's limited opportunities. And so even in the WSL, those players have to be thinking about that. So that's even more pertinent, like the further you go down. Definitely. And I feel like we should do a life after football special, actually, because I feel like... you. What's know, your plan? <laughs> I don't know. If anyone's listening... And... <laughs> Hi, okay. I'm hardworking. <laughs> well, we'll just read out your CV. Try, yeah. <laughs> Played two years at Chelsea. Um, but I do think, I think we need to do a more reality check life after football because I think there is an expectation that, like you say, people will just retire and like, walk into media jobs. There aren't enough ones to yeah, go and around. Jilly's taking them all. I know. Jilly's cleaning up because she's booked and busy. Jilly quit halfway for a season and thought, I am having this while I'm hot. She is such I'm a grafter though. Know, so she's like, so smart. Obviously that happens. Now she's working in school. <laughs> She can never have enough jobs. No, no, no because she's a businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur. Yeah. She's a girl boss. Yeah, so. I want her on the next season of <laughs> The Apprentice. Yeah, Dragon's Den, though. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah, sitting yeah. in one of oh those old God. chairs? It'd be so Iconic. good. But yeah, I think we've got to talk about the realities of it rather than the more glamorous side of some of the top earners in the WSL who are playing international football and have those big contracts as well. The reality is very different. So I think, yeah, we should definitely do a little Life After Football special. And then before we go, also a little bit of homework for next week. Some people were saying we're getting too serious and doing too much football. Oh, Just no. you wait. Just you wait. Next week, we're getting extremely silly. We're going to be talking about a romantic novel about women's football called Cleat Cute by Meryl so Wilsner. Um, so if you want to read that with us, it is basically like fanficy sort of like romantic novel that um, someone I know in the States read because it's set in New Orleans where my brother lives and a friend of ours texted me about two months ago saying, I've just read this. It's iconic. You have to read it. Um, and there are some funny aliases, I think, that are based on real characters and oh. stuff. So it's going to be great. It's a fanficy sort of romantic women's football novel it's currently available for 99p on kindle or you can buy the paperback so if you do it's a bargain really so you've got i'm going to the gay bookshop right now to get a paper (laughs) copy and if you can support support small businesses and small bookshops as well Um, but if you do want to read along with us we're going to be doing that next thursday so you've got a week to do it i mean that's i don't think it's very long and, <laughs> and also you Get know reading. the episode will stay on spotify so true forever you so can, you can tune in at a later date you can read whenever you <laughs> at your leisure but yeah i know people are worried but trust us we will go back to being silly so don't worry about it and um, but of course we'll be back on monday as well to reflect on this weekend wsl so um see you later guys thanks for coming in bye and uh catch you next week <laughs> <laughs>